Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't know who needed that the most, us to have the fans in there cheering for us or the fans or the city of Lincoln, but it's been too long. And uh, the stadium wasn't full, but... Man, there was there was a lot of people in there, and the sooner we get back to normal, the better for everybody. And uh, man, that was a good first step in the right direction. So, thank you to the fans, and I know it it adds a lot to the player experience and coaching experience when when they're in there. So we appreciate you. Hail Rams of Fordham, hail on to the fray. Welcome. The Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show, with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Just had an amazing time this past weekend. Was able to sit alongside Mac, Redcast Rob, my wife Kathy, and son Alex, who made his first return to Memorial Stadium in over four years uh, with some soundproof headphones, of course. Uh, really a special time for us. Go Big Red. Uh, also with Boomer. Well, I'm just excited with the new uh, scheduling news that uh, we finally get uh, to apply all that great Fordham knowledge that Honky's gained over the years. Little did you know, he's a big Rams fan. Well, I Absolutely. do know I do know that uh, Vince Lombardi <laughs> played there thanks to Dave earlier. I might have taken your question, but he called me out. I had to. That's okay. Do you know the name of the uh, line that uh, the nickname they give the line he played on? Oh shoot, Dave said that too. Was that the, the, <laughs> the gridiron or the rock or something? Red or, Rover. Is that even a sentence? I mean, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the rock. We'll work on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Uh, can't wait to break down the spring game and answer every single question we had going into the off season. Everything has been decided. I've watched it several times. Um, I think you're going to be happy with what I've what I've concluded. So can't wait to <laughs> get started. All the answers are in there. Hey, Mac. <laughs> I'm right there with Bill Moose. He and I are in lockstep. <laughs> you just got to watch the game enough times and you get right. it all figured out. Well, we will have an in-depth breakdown of the spring game. Uh, but before that, let's uh, talk about that scheduling update. Uh, Boomer, you have to be excited about the Fordham Rams uh, now playing the Huskers on September 4th. What can you tell us about Fordham? Yeah, we just don't see enough Patriot League foes uh, renew their old rivalries with us here, you know, these days. Um, yeah, Fordham, they're they're an FCS-level program. Um, they actually were a football power back in the oh, late 20s till about World War II, which kind of put the kibosh on a lot of programs, you know, as Nebraska's familiar with as well. But yeah, back in the day, they'd, they'd play all your traditional Ivy League schools and uh, play the big uh, Catholic programs like Boston College, you know, Holy Cross, which they still kind of have a rivalry with. They used to play at the Polo Grounds there in, uh, in the Bronx. And like we'd mentioned, uh, Vince Lombardi is probably one of their most famous alumni. And the name of the line was the uh, Seven Blocks of Granite. That's what we were looking for, the Seven Blocks of Granite. So, yeah, yeah, and like I said, they were a power. And uh, can you guess uh, how many of what we would call uh, New Year's Day Bowls have they played in? I think I saw that they are one and one in bowls. I'm going to guess two. 
Oh, very good, Dave. You're all over Fordham. I mean, it's <laughs> really you. impressive. Yeah. yeah, but they wow. they did fall on hard times, you know. After that, and uh, they actually shut down their program for oh about ten years or so, and then in the early '50s brought it back as a club sport. And they didn't actually start playing college level football again until 1970. They were Division three for a long time. I think they only jumped up to FCS in '89, '90, somewhere right around there. So. They, it's been a long, slow road back for Fordham. They haven't been quite as successful as as the good old days. But, you know, they've had a middling of success at the FCS level. Uh, Mo- uh, Joe Moorhead used to coach there, and he had him do a couple of playoffs. That's and, right. Yep. But other than that, it's 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 been a bit of a slog for the Rams. So we look forward to seeing them, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right. I forgot about Joe Moore- Moorhead being there. They have have made the FCS playoffs multiple times in the last decade or so. Um I remember right way back in the thirties. I mean, this, they were a top 10 perennial team. They played Alabama, Tennessee. They'd go down to Tuscaloosa and play Alabama. Lombardi's line coach was Frank Leahy, who ultimately then became the Notre Dame head coach and won multiple national championships. So, I mean, the very strong football tradition there back in the day. You but, guys could do a dissertation on Fordham football. I am shocked. I did not come prepared. <laughs> yeah, they're in New York City. They were like New York City's team. They played they were, the polo yeah, ground in front of 50,000 fans. Wow, they were, huge rivalry with NYU. Yep. Yeah, another interesting fact about them, I think they were the first – uh, college football game on television was Fordham. The first two, I think, were. Well, speaking of television, maybe the Big Ten should have brought Fordham in to get the New York market and not Rutgers. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's true. Well, Hank, what do you think about this addition to September 4th? This uh, takes Southeast Louisiana off a schedule on November 13th, I believe. Uh, gives us a second bye week later in the mm-hmm. schedule. We now have eight games to start the season, including an extra home game now. Yeah, I mean, this makes a ton of sense from Nebraska's standpoint. I mean, why wouldn't you want to do this? Obviously, originally, we're going to be playing Illinois in uh, Ireland. You want that week off the, the following week to you know recover from the travel and all that. That's no longer the case because of COVID. So there would be no reason in essentially week one to have a, a bye game. Uh, there was no reason for us to only have one home game before October especially when you want to get uh, some recruits in here early in the season. So we now have two games at home uh, right after the away game to start the year at Illinois. So we play at Illinois, then we come back and we play Fordham, and then we play Buffalo. And what also happened this last week was Buffalo losing Leopold, uh, the head coach, to Kansas this late in the year. I mean, that's what's so unique in that situation was how late it happened. And then it looks like they're losing seven or eight of their coaches. I mean, those first three games – if we're not 3-0 and after three games, and I know that's playing at Illinois, and I get what they did to us last year. This is game one of Bielema, and if our team doesn't go into Champaign and have a chip on their shoulder against those guys because they played the worst game of their season last year against them, I look at those first three games. I mean, that's that's a non-negotiable. you got to be 3-0. and Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, it, running off that schedule also just made me realize, Boomer, that we're playing two – New York state teams in back to back games. And in the same season, I, I don't know when the last time we would have played two teams from the state of New York uh, ever in a college football season. So that's yeah, it. I'd have to look into that. Maybe sometime if we played Syracuse and somebody else, but yeah, that couldn't have happened often. I would we would have played history. in 83. We played Syracuse and then we played in the Meadowlands, which I guess is New Jersey anyway. So moot point. 
<laughs> well, at least you know your geography yeah. well enough to know that the Meadowlands is not in New York. But that's but. where the two New York teams play. We're in that's the Meadowlands. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, uh, it, it should be a, a, a good start to the season. Mm-hmm. You're right, Honk. I think they do have to you know, put it on themselves to say that we need to be three and know, uh, not saying that they are going to need to can take Illinois or Buffalo lightly. It's just that they should expect to win those games. If they're going to have a good season. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, this team, if one thing, everyone optimist or pessimist can agree with you, Nebraska can't take anyone lightly should never take anyone lightly. I think they took Illinois lightly to be quite honest with you a year ago. And I think they paid for it. And then the last thing, I guess, to kind of go back to how this changes the the end part of the schedule, too, is now that gives us two bye weeks in those last four games. So, you know, we play Minnesota. That's the last of our eight straight consecutive games bye week. Then we come back and play Purdue and Ohio State bye week. Then we finish up with at Wisconsin and Iowa. And so we finish up with three of four at home. We finish up with five of our last seven at home. So if you can start off three and oh, and you're finishing with five or seven at home. And if we can do what Moose said, which was protect home, you know, you can start to see how this season, his eight, nine wins isn't out of line if we can do what we need to do. So you can't, there's, I can tell you this, there's 12 teams that we can't look past. That is the number one thing, no matter what. Again, that's something everyone can agree on. There are 12 teams that Nebraska can't look past, but uh, there's a route to get to that eight and nine win spot too. There's red casters. Those are familiar uh, scarlet colored glasses going on a honky right now. All I'm right, traditionally well, 12 and 0, you know, so I mean, this is a, a me, true. This is very uh, conservative by my standards. Well, another reason why we'll be going 12 and 0 uh, years into the future is the big facilities upgrade, a $155 million project that uh got it's got groundbreaking on friday honky you and redcast rob were all around the campus uh were you able to check that out yeah three hundred and fifty thousand square feet new locker room conditioning facility athletics medicine uh set for completion in 2023 now so uh it's a year later than what all was originally planned but it's going to happen and uh yeah that weekend we had redcast rob down i'll tell you it was just a return to normalcy uh, Lincoln wasn't exactly like Lincoln on a Saturday in the fall, but it was, hey, it was halfway there, right? And to get 36-some thousand people in there was was an amazing feeling, and, and a lot of a lot of fun was had. Uh, that Friday, Redcast Rob walked, and I walked all the way around downtown, and, you know, I was showing him all the ins and outs of Lincoln. He, he had all of his Redcast merchandise on. He was wearing his <laughs> Redcast uh, sweatshirt, Redcast hat. I had the hat on, too, but it's like a flat brim one. I looked like a dork wearing it, and he looks pretty decent. I'll give him that. But, He's um, from California. He can yeah, wear the flat brim. Yeah. It, it's perfect for him. But one of the things I love about a Husker football weekend, and I know you guys can appreciate this because we do this all the time anywhere we go, is you start to talk to other people and you just you just meet people along the way. I mean, we were in the hotel after the game on Saturday and we run into Laura Hutmaker, the polar bear's mom. And, uh, oh, my God, we, had, we were at the hotel atrium there, the embassy suites. We just had Chad with her and her, the, his grandmother, her his aunt. I mean, they we just missed his pop, uh, Joe, but we had a, just a ton of fun talking with her. And, and fellas, she listens to the show. She brought oh, us awesome. up. She she brought us up on the phone and said, "Yeah, you know, I listen to you guys." So did she like recognize cool. your voice? Was that she what, did. What's her name? What's her name, Honk? Laura Hutmaker. 
And, and by Hi, the way, Laura. there you go. And I told her the the story about how I used to call him like Hut Nashmacher because I couldn't, you know, I'm just terrible with you know names. And so she kind of laughed at that a little bit. And but yeah, they're just awesome people and just a ton of fun. Uh, the day before on Friday, we were walking around PBA and we ran into Elena Flake, who is on the Nebraska rifle team. And she was with her mother and they were, you know, buying some stuff at the PBA store. And she's an all-American going into her junior season. And Boomer, I think you're going to like this. You always mention, you know, those other sports other than just football and volleyball and basketball, the, the ones that always get on TV. And you always say that, you know, we need to, you know, celebrate those other sports too. And that was a perfect example. Another student athlete, she's working every bit as hard as anyone else out there for the scholarship. And uh, we've always said, if the, the uniform says Husker on it, we're going to be there cheering for you. So Elena, I promised that the Redcast would make it out to a rifle contest next year. And uh, I intend to keep that. Last but not least, just kind of giving that that general feel of what the weekend was like. Uh, we went down to the rail yard on Saturday morning, got to chat, take a photo with the, the Hill Varsity radio guys, Chris Schmidt and Mark Craniac. So it was kind of cool to see those guys. And uh, I've had a couple of different talks with uh, Schmidt. It would be good to get him on the show and, and maybe vice versa. Just a lot of fun there. And, and my last thanks I want to give is to uh, Jim in Minnesota for joining Redcast Rob and I on the rapid reaction afterwards at the uh, the Embassy Suites, the uh, Redcast headquarters for the weekend. We had a, a wonderful view of Memorial Stadium from uh, where, where we were sitting, and uh, uh, it was just a lot of fun. And so speaking, I guess, of that rapid reaction, I'll start with you, Boomer. I, you've Clearly, you've listened to it, correct? Well, yeah, I thought uh, you and Rob brought Gusto and Verve, and Jim in Minnesota had a delightful cameo role, and it was a you know, puckish satire of contemporary mores and sports, and you know, a droll spoof aimed more at the heart than the head. But uh, it, yeah, you, no, I didn't listen. Yeah, you didn't listen, sorry. did you? No, I, I didn't listen. Sorry, I, I didn't do my homework there. But uh, you know, I, I'm sure it went great. And uh, if I can offer this, uh, Dave, I looked this up while Honky was uh, was going on there. Um, yeah, we actually have played uh, two schools from New York. Uh, in the same season, several times, actually. I was really surprised. Um, never back-to-back, um, but it was 1927, we played Syracuse and New York University, and 1928, we played uh, Syracuse and Army. So it has been done. Uh, Army. Wow. Yep. We actually had a game we played Colgate once, too, and kind of surprised at that. But, uh, yeah, I forgot they were from New York as well. So we have a long history with uh, New York. Mm. Excellent. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, well, um, Honk, I, I did listen to the rapid reaction. Thank you. Mac probably listened to it as well um, because I, I wanted to do my it. homework for this show, you know, and obviously you guys are the authority because, you know, it's, it's hockey, right? Um, and so, yeah, it was great stuff. Great stuff. I think, um, you know, it was great to get your uh, initial thoughts and also uh, amazing that you guys put down 57 minutes um of audio um, only an hour after he had left the game. So I, I was impressed. Yeah. Jim in Minnesota, he had some people that were down in the atrium and, you know, I kind of told him before we'd start recording, uh, we'll probably go 20, 25 minutes. And how many times have you guys heard that, by the way? Hey, we'll go 20 minutes. <laughs> Every rapid reaction. <laughs> 55 minutes later, it's like, oh, we should probably get out of here, right? You know, so, Or if you heard it's going to be a 45-minute red cast. I think we have this wrapped up about 45 minutes or so, two and a half hours later. <laughs> Still, you know. We're content driven. It's a two part episode. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it too, Honk. And I talked to you. I had talked to you prior to listening to it, but I just rewatched the game and I was just kind of kind of running over my thoughts with it with you. And then when I did listen to it again, I felt like you guys were pretty well in line with what I was thinking. And it was interesting because I worked that night. I didn't get a chance to get on Twitter and get the 
not the, the, the pulse of Husker Nation, because that is not Twitter. But if you're going to get the, the biggest gripe of Husker Nation, that's where you would go. And I felt like it was more positive than normal mm-hmm. uh, based off of the spring game performance, which is great because that's kind of how I took it. I felt like there was a lot of good things about that. So I don't know. Maybe we should get to talk about the spring game. Well, Dave, being a television viewer of it, I know Mac and I, we were sitting next to each other and like we and we were up in the 600 level. How We've, crazy was that, by the way, though, Honk? like we did not buy our tickets at the same time. We had yeah. no coordination whatsoever, but we, we get sat up there and about, I don't know, five minutes before kickoff, I look up and I'm like, well, that looks like Rob. <laughs> well, that looks like Honky. That looks like Kathy. And then my kids see Alex. They're like, oh, Alex. I'm like, all of a sudden, like, that's insane. You're like, we're yeah. sitting on the same row. Like just an aisle across from each other, so wow. that's that's so fun. I yeah. mean, yeah, out of a out of a stadium of thirty five thousand people, two people from the red cast <laughs> are within like yelling distance, and then Eric Hash, uh, who listens to the show too from Columbus, he was mm-hmm. sitting about five people down from us. So it was just it was kind of nuts. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And and up in the six hundred level, it was windy. I mean, things were blowing all over the place, and it was that way all across the field. But certainly up in our area, we were feeling it. Dave, watching it from home and watching it on TV, did you get that sense? Could you could you get a sense of how much wind was involved in the game? Yeah, just like play to play, it, it wasn't that apparent. Uh, but they did cut away to the flags quite a bit. The commentators, which included Kenny Bell and, and Damon Benning, mentioned the wind. Um, so everybody listening and watching was uh, was aware of the windy conditions. I think it was apparent especially a little bit more in the second half with some of the throws um, where it seemed like the accuracy or just the distance wasn't what they were expecting. So um, yeah, I think it was, it was, it was pretty apparent. Yeah. They had uh, Toby Wright and Baron miles senior were on the sidelines. And I know at one point when they're interviewing him, I think Toby Wright's hat like flew off his head. I mean, that's, that's what some of what these QBs and receivers were dealing with. And we tried in the rapid reaction. I know with Jim in Minnesota, we made a point time and again to just talk about how, boy, if this was a real Saturday, a real game day Saturday, maybe you went into it with a, a game plan of you know, we're going to throw it 30, 35 times on X opponent, whoever it would be. You might go into that day and go, we're changing this up a little bit. We don't think that this, that would be the, the best route or, you know, I mean, I thought it felt like it had that much of an effect on, on the pass game and Frost even kind of alluded to that afterwards. Sure. I do think that you could argue, I mean, one of the, the complaints to max point about the game was that I, there wasn't a lot of chunk plays again. They're like, Oh no, the offense Mm -hmm. didn't produce any chunk plays, but they didn't throw the ball down the field that much after the first uh, driver to, you know, they tried to get the ball to Omar deep and he dropped that one. But after that, they were a little bit more underneath. And part of that might have been just because they were trying to actually try to execute a pass offense in a windy condition and, and mm-hmm. you're going to throw eight or 10 yard, you know, uh, you know, pass as opposed to, you know, 30 yard passes. So mm-hmm. I, I want to say one thing before I, I, I want to hand this over to Mac and let Mac get some of his viewpoints here because I know he's been thinking about this. But I just want to say, I know from the Redcast, all of us, we feel terrible for Will Honus. Like that guy to have the injury last week and he was one of the six super six guys seniors coming back just awful. And I, I hope that he has a full and complete and quick recovery. I I've, selfishly, I'd love to see him play again in red and white, but right now it doesn't even matter if he does or not. I just want the guy to be healthy, but horrible 
to have him go down like that at the last week of the spring game. And I, and you heard Frost talk about some too, and you could tell he was just gutted by it, but Mac, uh, you know, you and I have been chatting for, uh, quite a bit the last two days and really kind of want to start get your, uh, your feedback on the, on what you saw in the spring game. Well, I'll just start on the offensive side of things. Um, you know, watching it live, I don't know. Maybe it's my advanced age, or I don't know. It could have been that we were in the 600 section, and it was <laughs> it was you know gale force winds up there. But it was it was hard to take in the game. It was hard to know who was playing. It was you know, you know, especially when the run plays when you're when you're playing thud. I'm like, well, did he have a crease? Would it have gone further had he not been you know if they actually had to tackle him? So rewatching the game on TV was invaluable um, for me, and. You know, you're not going to answer every single question in spring ball. I understand that. But there were a couple of things I was looking for. And execution is something we've been hammering on this show for a long time. Like execute, execute, execute. And I felt like this is the best I've seen a Nebraska team under Coach Frost execute, at least in well into the two deep and some of the three deep. And that was probably the thing I was most encouraged about. Even though it was thud, you could see the Christmas of some of the passes. Adrian was leading guys in a proper manner. I know he had a few over those. That win was a factor, but even that win being a factor on that bomb to Omar, he hit him in the numbers. That should have been a caught ball. You know, so there was a couple other ones that, you know, were, were a little bit questionable, but on the whole, if I was going to predict how that game should have went and made me feel better, I can't, I can't imagine picking a better kind of outcome for it. I mean, I've rewatched this game a few times and I just, no matter what, I try to focus on if it's the defensive line versus the offensive line, if it's the linebackers versus tight ends or the wide receivers versus the corners and how the running backs, every position, I feel like for the most part, guys are playing very well. You know, sometimes you get beat, but that's just football, but at least no one's running around with their head caught off. Like guys are in position. I thought they were breaking down well to be in position to make tackles. I thought other guys were set up to, you know, avoid tackles. It was encouraging to watch. There was one day the defense whooped the offense's tail, and Sam. The rest of the time, it was a really good back and forth. And he, you know, I don't, I don't even know who to root for in those things because I want to see some guys get some sacks, but I don't want to see anybody get sacked. And I want to see guys make catches, but I don't want to see guys give up catches. So, um, again, I just want to get out of that healthy. But it's been really good back and forth all spring, and. Uh, I think both sides have improved. We had a number of questions that came in tonight on Twitter. A lot of you Redcasters had thoughts. So I'm going to try to kind of add those questions in here as we're, as we're talking. And you talked about depth. And Lincoln on Twitter, he asked, uh, how do you think the coaching staff will handle the running back position? Will it be running back by committee or definitive one, two, three deep depth chart? I think ideally they would like to have a one, two, three depth deep depth chart and have a guy that they feature. I think that's what this coaching staff prefers. It's probably what most, most coaching staffs prefer, but um, as it stands right now, I don't think anyone's necessarily taken that role. There are a couple guys though, that I feel like based on what I've seen this spring, Marvin Scott and Gabe Irvin are, are the two front runners for me to do it. Uh, they, they've been available. They're hard runners. Um, they get low to the ground and they find the creases. There was a, even on the thud play, there was that touchdown run that Marvin Scott did. And they showed it from a behind the center view. And he got so small into a crease when he hit the hole, it wasn't there. It opened for a second. That's when he slipped through and then mm -hmm. he scored you know, thud or no thud. He got in there. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff we haven't seen from some of our running backs is the ability to find the soft spots in the defense when you're running full speed. 
that to me just made me smile. Gabe Irvin, you know, the, the interesting thing about him, if you look at, he's got really long arms and really long legs. He's got a really good stiff arm. It keeps guys away from the center, uh, you know, his center mass. It makes him hard to knock off just, you know, with, you can't arm tackle that guy. He won't let you get close enough. Hmm. And he found the corner a couple of times on thud as well. When they could, all they had to do was two hand touch. And by the way, why not just call it two hand touch? What do you, what's the thud? <laughs> There's zero thudding going on. It's like, bloop, gotcha. That's not thud. That's, that's touch. Just call it touch. That's you're, you're making it sound too fancy. You know, Jim in Minnesota during our rapid reaction made a point to say that uh, Nebraska is not unique in thudding or two hand touching. A lot of teams right. around the country were doing it, Ohio State, so on. You know, Dave, piggybacking off of what Mac just said there, let's assume that Irvin is one of those top two backs. What does that say? Or what do you think that says about the running back position that with all that young talent? And I mean, we're six, seven deep, right? With guys that are have been here for two, three years, some of those guys now. And this here's a true freshman coming in here should be at prom. You know, they always say at this point, guy could have been at prom and he's winning a top one or two spots. I mean, what, what do you think that says? Yeah, no, it definitely raises questions. You know, we don't have uh, Marquis Step in uh, spring. We had Yant um, actually as a walk-on. So, I mean, that would be technically your seventh guy. Ramirez uh, Johnson apparently maybe it was dinged up. So there were really only four scholarship guys in, in Yant and, and plus other walk-ons. Um, so, yeah, it's really – it is interesting. It's a question I wanted to pose to you guys, and, and I'm glad that Mac is – enthusiastic about what he saw in the running back room. Um, you know, I feel like there's been a lot of talk over the spring, maybe because of the open practice that you attended to honky about the wide receiver room and the depth of that wide receiver room, you know, even losing Wandell, um, it seems like people are enthusiastic that the talent and the depth and the diversity of skill sets uh, in that wide receiver room is, is an attractive thing. But we've been hearing or expecting that the coaching staff wants to have a more power run game, right? And I'm like, well, if we're if we're worried about this running back room not having the horses to do this, and you have a wide receiver room that looks really attractive, are you concerned that the coaching staff, when it matters, is going to end up turning to a pass game approach opposed to sticking to run the damn ball, right, Honk? Or do they turn to Martinez being the running back? Right. And so I, I am concerned that if Gabe Irvin has vaulted himself into the top one or two already, um, what that means. But I'm mm -hmm. also hearing Max say, and, and I have rewatched the, the spring game here now a couple different times. And Marvin Scott does look like he had, had, had some, a pretty darn good spring. And we do see Sevian and, and Ronald Tompkins a bit, but you, you do have to wonder, I mean, is, is Gabe Irvin that good or the other mm -hmm. guys just have not come along as fast as you would expect. You know, I, Mac, I want your thoughts on this because you brought it up to me. And this piggybacks off of what Dave talked about a week ago, which was during the spring ball, there were two or three or four running backs out at any time. And that was kind of a concern. Like, hey, if you're trying to win one of these spots, you want to be practicing, right? right. Well, Mac, you brought up in the game that there was one or two guys that's tapping his head that because mm -hmm. he, he needs out or there was Yant on the sideline. He looked gassed, uh, you know, one time. And look. I get it. I mean, that happens in a game, but at the same token, Held has made a very conscious effort to talk about this offseason, 
Mm-hmm. He's going to challenge these guys to get their bodies right and, and add the weight or lose the weight or whatever. And my goodness, you're in this program with, with these facilities and these coaches. I mean, whatever it is you need to do to get yourself into shape in August in the right shape, do it. But I mean, how concerning is that to you to seeing guys tapping heads too, when you're trying to win positions? Yeah, it, it, it makes you kind of question or at least think about questioning the toughness of some of these running backs, because it's a position that you're just going to have to learn to play banged up. It's it, there's just no way around it. So who can play hurt? Who can be available? Who's ready to answer the call when their numbers, when it's their time, you know, and Savion Morrison and Ronald Tompkins have been guys that that's in question a little bit right now. Gabe mm-hmm. Irvin, he's come out and he, all he's done is kind of made waves and been available. And he looks like he understands this. Um, Marvin Scott is the same kind of dude, you know, he's out there making plays already. You've got a question step because he hasn't, he hasn't played a down, not even in practice as he played for us. So it, it's not that it's just that I'm concerned with the running back position. I think, I think out of those two guys, somebody is going to take the reins and, and really run with that. But we absolutely the mentality in that room needs to shift to, well, whatever it takes for me to get on the field, you're going to have to drag me off the field. You know, that's the, that's the kind of dogs we need at the running back room. And, and maybe we have that or not, but I tell you what, when this freshman comes in and immediately starts challenging for that stuff, you have to question the, the toughness of the older guys. I'm like, how come you guys aren't getting in there? How can this kid come in here and, and already be tougher than you guys? How can he already have this down better than you guys? Why is he so much more available than you guys? You've been here for so long. You've been through this program. You've been through this nutrition program and the in this weight program and you can't be out there i'm telling you there's a message sent to these upperclassmen it's it's time for them to answer but I, either way though all the guys when they got their opportunity they looked good just be mm-hmm. available yeah i thought that was a bright spot today i gotta watch the tape but seeing those guys run hard that's kind of hard to tell sometimes we're not live very much completely tackled the ground very much in spring practice uh just can't afford to be and the rules don't let us be um so it's kind of hard to tell with running backs, but watching them in the second half and seeing some tackles broken and guys running through contact, I thought that was a, a real positive today. And that it? It's, it's the availability. It's not the lack of talent. No one's calling these guys out for not being talented players or no. talented recruits or anything. It's just we need to see it. You need to get out there and play. And I know Held made a point to say this year we're not looking for some bell, bell cow. Um, a bell cow would be somebody. <laughs> bell that cow has be- been replaced with downhill running game. You'll notice last <laughs> year was all bell cow. This year it's all downhill running game. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, here I'll add, bring another question out of the, the Twitter mailbag here, I guess. Uh, Boomer, this is from AJ. He talked about, is there any single running back or quarterback you think that will run for 150 yards in a game this year? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, the running backs, we just have to see who actually steps up. I don't know if I'm convinced any one of them at this point is going to do 150 yards in a game. I'm trying to, last year it would have been Mills only yeah. doing that the one time against Rutgers. Yeah, right. That's what I mean. It's it's just right now, I don't, I don't know who's going to be getting them the amount of touches. I think early on, you know, in this season, maybe we're going to see a lot more different guys playing if they haven't fully established themselves, you know, because you'd think you might have a shot at getting against like the Fordhams and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even a Buffalo unit in disarray, you know, if you have a chance. So maybe they'll be trying to see what, uh, you know, somebody like Step or someone can give him and he'll get a lot of touches in those games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Viant maybe starts getting some downhill running going and, you know, has a little more stamina, you know, by that part of the, after a summer training, you might see something like that or, you know, heck, maybe we'll have, you know, Martinez break a few big plays. You know, it wouldn't take a whole lot of big plays for him to, you know, 
rack up some yardage and possibly have a chance at that. Although, you know, ideally, I don't think any of us want to see him try to get that with 20 or 30 carries in a game anymore. That's no, so very true. Yeah, it, it's tough to say at this point. I, I don't know. I, I want to see who steps up on the running back. And like David said, I want to see if they, the coaching staff is going to stick with the running game kind of the way they, they've hinted at. So when I see those two things, you know, maybe after two or three games, then we'll have mm-hmm. an idea if that's a more realistic possibility. You know, when you watch Adrian run and you see him tuck the ball and you see how explosive and fast he looks, you kind of understand a little how tempting it is to run that yeah. dude. I mean, he he's elite as a runner. And I understand we have to we have to protect him and keep him healthy, but we have not had a running like a running quarterback like that since Tommy Frazier. I'm I'm willing to say that the way he gets low and in and out of cuts and his his size, it's it's unreal. So I, I get Frost temptation. If we could just limit it to maybe one or two draws a game and then whatever he chooses to scramble. Has enough talent to make every play you want a quarterback to make. Uh, he's done a good job of limiting the mistakes this spring. And if, if he can get through games and just be who he is and, and not have the three or four bad plays uh, that, that hurt you, uh, he has a chance to accomplish whatever he wants to. So we're going to keep working with him hard and um, really excited about where he is right now. Uh, the word of the show right now is availability. And in this case, yeah. it's, it's availability of Adrian at 100% health. Right. Right. Mm. And so I would love to see him in select games, right? When when we need him against Oklahoma or Ohio State to really flash and get a big play, I want him at 100%. And he's not going to be at 100% if he's running 20 times against Illinois, Fordham, mm-hmm. and, and Buffalo, right? He should barely have to run in those games. And then I want him to... to uh, have some carries in the games that matter and if we're three and oh in those games then all the more reason to, to kind of ball out and give it all you got yeah. that dave that, okay that's an interesting point i may revise a little bit of what i said even on our rapid reaction right i kind of said you know give martinez six to 12 carries per game you know kind of thing that kind of average but you know really if we can keep him around maybe that six number in those illinois Think about that. If we can keep him to six in Illinois, Fordham, and Buffalo, so he's had 18 total carries in three games. I mean, he's had yeah. more than that in a lot of games already, right? If he has that many, and then we go and we play Oklahoma and he runs for 20, maybe I'm okay with that in that one game. You know, if, right. if that's what it takes, and, and that gives us our best shot of pulling that upset, is, is that elite runner like you talked about, Mac, getting 20 carries in one game, okay. I'm fine with that. We just can't make a habit out of 20. I mean, that's something we've kind of all agreed on, especially as you're going to be playing eight straight weeks now to start off the season. Yeah. You know, you're going to get beat up at some point. And, and Mac, I'm curious your thoughts. You said you think he's the most elite runner since, you know, Frazier. And there's a lot of QBs, obviously Frost and Crouch mm-hmm. and other guys that have yes. been in that time. And also Martinez, is he's just a lightning rod right now. If we say anything positive, it, it takes two seconds on social media for somebody just to – to you know crap all over whatever we said so right when you say what you said do you think there's red casters rolling their eyes when they hear that or, or do you think that people are starting to see it like when he looks healthy when he's available to dave's point he's pretty elite you know i think actually i think most husker fans have seen it i think a lot, i think most people have have understood that adrian does have that kind of talent i think it's more of a don't want to get hurt anymore, you know, <laughs> kind of thing with Adrian because because he is so he is so dynamic and he he flashes all the time and and some of the best plays he makes end in tragedy. You know, it's like, gosh, it was so elite right up until that part. And and mm-hmm. I and I get all the frustration with him. I I totally do. But there's a there's got to be a balance where we can use what he's got 
as a, as an athlete, as a runner. And I do think he's developed as a passer too. I'm just not afraid. I'm not that afraid to put my confidence in Adrian this year. I'm really not. I, I guess I, I would pose this question to any other Husker fan who, what else would you ask for? He's a, he's a fourth year returning quarterback. You know, he's had to do most of this on his own. He's finally got a team possibly stacked around him with a good offensive line, better running backs, certainly taller uh, receiving core and tight end core. He might have a chance. And his defense is going to be as salty as it's ever been. Yeah, they want wins, right, Mac? Right. I mean, they, we, you got to win. Got to win. You put the same stat line up and you win, and everybody's like, this he's is great. Exactly. Right? You love him. Yeah. If he just, you know, cuts down the turnovers and, and we win, then he, he's going to have a yeah. great year. We forgive Tommy Frazier for being a career 50% passer because he won so many games, you know, <laughs> like that's the, he's, you know, well, I have, uh, I mentioned earlier the Redcast uh, merchandise, which by the way, uh, we've posted that on Twitter at Redcasters. You can go out there and buy our merchandise on the, the herd at, uh, merchandise site there. We'll put another link up on social media here this week. But speaking of merchandise, uh, Turner Corcoran was wearing a very interesting hat as well afterwards, uh, a run the damn ball hat during uh, the post-game uh, press conference, which was really cool. And Matt Sickerman talked about having a goal of being the number one rushing offense in the Big Ten. And again, uh, as Husker fans, we tend to scoff at any more at any. Oh, gosh, whatever. We're going to be number one. But when you think about it, Nebraska was number two. We were second last year. We were third in 2019. And we were fourth in 2018 in conference in the rushing game. So, you know, now. So it's meaningless is what you're saying. <laughs> well, it, what it means is it's actually not a crazy prediction. I mean, we're actually trending Or much of way. a predictor of success, I guess. I get, well, <laughs> that too. But, now if we, but if we do want to be number one, it does mean knocking Ohio State out of yeah. that spot. And I mean, that's where. You know, we were number two in rushing offense a year ago to Ohio State. Again, that's no direct indicator of wins because obviously we didn't have them for a variety of reasons. But, uh, hey, I, I'm a run-the-damn-ball guy, and I would love to see us be number one in the conference. Well, yeah. and the way you run the ball does matter, too. You know, like when yeah. you're leading with your quarterback and your wide receiver being your leading rushers, that matters. <laughs> I, yeah. I scoff at that, but I do agree. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that we finished second last year and we don't feel like we had a good run game out of the running back mm. position. We had 100 <laughs> yard gain from a running back last year. You know, yeah. that's that's just a fact. Mm. I mean, I guess we only had eight games, but still. Yeah, that's it's crazy. Well, um, we've been talking about quarterbacks. So let's talk a little bit more about what else we saw out there. We had three other quarterbacks after Adrian uh, Logan Smothers started for the white team honk. Uh, then Heinrich Harburg and Matt Masker uh, played quite a bit. Uh, we saw Logan and, and Heinrich really kind of duel it out a little bit in the second half uh, back and forth. Uh, what'd you see out there? I'll tell you what, if you go back and listen to our rap reaction, um, I don't know that I was as high on the, the quarterbacks coming out of that, you know, just seeing it live. I've rewatched that, that game twice and, I feel a lot different right now than I did at that point. I think both of them showed really well, especially as they got more comfortable in the second half with actual tackling. Well, I know they were green jerseys, but just playing in the the tackling part of the of the scrimmage, I feel like they both handled the situation really well. I mean, you know, Harburg, for Christ's sake, should be again in high school right now, and and he looked like he had total control over that offense. He was directing guys and getting them into the right spots and everything, uh, and Smothers. Man, he made a play 
right in the first drive. And I brought it up on the rapid reaction that he kind of rolled out of the pocket to the right. That was in the first drive and really showed some good speed. And I can see how he can be used in this offense. And he's a, he's a fast guy. He's not a huge guy. He's not a big dude, not like Harvard, definitely different body types and everything. But uh, I'm pleased with those two guys. And for what it's worth, Frost didn't make it sound like he had any indication that he was going into the portal uh, post spring ball and for a quarterback spot. And that was something that we talked about, like that the coaching staff going in the spring. I mean, you have to feel really good about these quarterbacks. If you're not going to try to sniff around in the portal afterwards. And I don't think that they're trying to sniff around there. I think they're, they're comfortable. These guys need snaps and getting Fordham and teams like that early in the game in this season will help with that. But other than they, they need snaps. They've also have talent. So I, I'm pleased. Yeah, Absolutely. In the spring game, you can't see, take too much out of what you're seeing, right? But with quarterback play, you can see how well they manage uh, the playbook, how they're getting in and out of uh, different route combinations, and how well they're interacting with their their teammates. And you had to be really um, pleased with what you saw from both Logan and Heinrich Harburg on that front. Um, and I think it is interesting if, if Logan had to uh, play more than just a a driver to if he had to play for a game or, or more as the back of a quarterback, you may see a shift to a more of a run heavy QB uh, situation, right? What we've seen, maybe hopefully not as much as what Luke was last year, but it would be reasonable to expect that. And they might be comfortable to do that because essentially if Harburg continues to come along as quickly as we've seen him this spring, by fall, you really kind of have two backup quarterbacks, right? I mean, you can run Logan out there, let him run a little bit, knowing that Heinrich could also come in and, and serve uh, as the backup quarterback as well. That's a great point, Dave, because I thought both quarterbacks did a good job of playing to their weakness, if that makes any sense. I, I saw, and I wouldn't even call it a weakness, but maybe the questions going into spring ball. Uh, Harburg, for example, that kid's athletic. That kid's fast. You know, he's got a high top end and he has a pretty good feel in the pocket of when to get out and move. So you knew he had a good arm. You knew he was going to, you know, I don't know if he's a gunslinger yet. He'll be interesting once he kind of gets a better grasp of this offense to see how much his passing, how good his passing really is. Arm talent, no doubt. Decision making, you know, we don't know, but the arm talent's definitely there. And now you see the athleticism with some others. You knew about the athleticism. There were a couple of times he threw on the run. There was a couple of times that he bought a little time and then drilled a pass. It, it, that was enough for me to go, well, he can move the ball in this offense. I didn't see many really great deep shots with him, but very serviceable. Enough for me to think, okay, well, what kind of quarterback would it take to come into the uh, in the transfer portal to overstep these two guys? I just don't see it being that likely. Uh, and maybe the perfect quarterback, but at this point, it's like, yeah, I think we need to put all our eggs in these baskets and really develop these two young men along with Adrian and forget about the rest of it. Yeah, we had a question, Mac, uh, from Huskers X's and O's. He said, who is more accurate, Harburg or Rick Vaughn, the uh, Charlie Sheen character from Major League? Is this before or after corrective lenses? <laughs> because <laughs> because the distinction's important. Um, I don't think Harburg was that inaccurate. I think a couple times he was trying to, kind of pass the ball or lead the ball instead of just throwing it. You know, he kind mm-hmm. of puts them up just kind of lightly. I think he just needs to, uh, to learn when to drill it and really drive the ball. Um, and, and he's, and it was a windy day. So, you know, I, I, I have no problem with the accuracy of really any of the quarterbacks. There's going to be days like these. And even with the day that it was, most of the guys had a decent completion percentage. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I mean, uh, Heinrich didn't have a great uh, 
completion percentage, but it didn't seem like he was so wildly inaccurate that um, you know you can you know say that that was a little bit of of his first spring game and also the win nerves etc. I think he could be better in 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 the fall. All right, guys, you want to talk offensive line at all? Uh, anything else? Uh, we have alluded to the wide receivers, but we didn't talk a lot about it. And I'm sure Redcast Rob enjoyed seeing Omar and and the others. Maybe we sure. just make this just an offensive breakdown of the, of the game. And maybe next week we kind of do a defensive one because this is well, you look at the wide receivers and just tight ends too. What, O-line? You want to go to O-line to wide receiver? Yeah, let's do O-line. And I think it all starts with the center snap. And Jurgens. You know, for the last three and a half games of last season, basically after that kind of the disastrous first half of Iowa, ever since then, he's been solid. And he was solid all throughout that spring game. He looks like he's coming into his own. And I don't, I'm not envisioning any issues at center at the start of the season. I mean, that's, and that's a huge statement compared to where we've been now for the last two years. Yeah, I was impressed with his athleticism. The way he can hunker in his in his stance and kind of point guys out and then get back and, and snap that ball. Um, he's fired off the ball great. I think our two tackles are playing at a pretty high level. There was a couple times, like I know Cam in particular was going up against the polar bear. And I know that's that's a redshirt freshman, but that I also know that is a very powerful young man. And and Cam was going toe-to-toe with him. He wasn't going anywhere with it. And that, you see that stuff all the time. And whether it's, you know, the, the, the guard position, you know, being a little in flux, I never noticed that much of a difference depending on who they played. Now, you know, they, they move some guys around there a little bit. Sickerman, obviously banks were playing that right guard. And then on at right tackle, there was a, a play that you know, Chaz and SoCal has been posting a lot of videos on Twitter. And of course we love Chaz follow him. There was one play where I think it was Messiah Newsom got around the right tackle and it was like, Oh my gosh, you know, Ben Hart, let him get around. Then you, you rewatch it. It's like, Oh no, that was banks actually playing right tackle in that position at, at that oh, yeah. time. So they were, you know, moving some guys around. It wasn't just always the starters playing in those spots with that red line. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel really good, really good about what, whoever they determine, whether it's Sickerman or banks at right guard and whatever that kind of that top six, top seven guys of the O-line. I mean, this is as good, I think, as solid as it's been depth-wise in certainly since Frost has been here. And that's really the thing too, right? It's like, who really cares about that? The guard, not who really cares, but you know, it's immaterial. Whichever guy starts, there's going to be pretty decent, not to mention Mm -hmm. we have depth. I mean, that's just kind of where, like, I feel like there's a few position groups where I feel like the depth is is pretty consistent in terms of talent and size and shape and makeup and and the offensive line is one of those positions so I, I didn't really have a concern going into the spring about the offensive line and I certainly don't have any after watching it you know if if, if cam would have been spraying snaps that have been a concern if you'd have heard about some holds that have been a concern you know if some of these young defensive linemen were maybe smoking a couple of those guards that have been a concern. Really, that wasn't, you know, the, the old line, everything was thud, right? But the lines, the trenches were pretty live and you got a pretty good sense of it. And I felt like the old line did just fine against that second string defense, which have a few good guys on that team too. So I, that, that was encouraging to me. I was really pleased with that. And I have been all spring. Um, we've really made an effort to be uh, more physical, to finish plays better. Um, We've really improved in that area this spring on both sides. Yeah, the defense, 
again, we'll get into that at a later time here, but that defense first or second string, I think that's as solid of a two deep that Nebraska's had also in quite some time. And so our starters were going against some very good players. Some of those dudes young, but I mean, there was a play where uh, Jordan Riley, you know, huge dude, nose tackle going up against Jurgens, and he tried to do a swim move on him and Jurgens just took him. I mean, took the dude five yards back and, and Jurgens, he's going to do that to a lot of guys. I mean, these dudes are aggressive. They're powerful. The O-line, if we want to run the damn ball, as Corcoran's hat said, um, I think we have the hosses up front to yeah. do that. I heard a few people talk about the fact that we had two NFL draft picks this weekend mm-hmm. uh, off of that offensive line. And it's interesting. You, you, you have the number two rushing attack in the Big Ten, um, but at times you feel like they maybe underperformed a little bit, but you had two NFL draft picks. What's the secret of their success next season? It, it's probably, to, to Mac's point, that Jurgen has clean snaps, that we don't have mm-hmm. costly holding penalties, all the, the little stuff that can hold this group back. Well, Dave, I'm out at your house in Denver last year watching the Northwestern game, and here we are in the first half moving the ball right down the field on the eventual West champs. And what happens? We have five penalties on the offensive line, one against each dude. Yeah. And and they made a change or two, I believe, after that game. They did a different lineup earlier in the season. It kind of was changing a little bit. Um, the point is that that's the kind of stuff that can't happen. Now, what's crazy is, yeah, we had two seniors that are now going into the pros, which are great. Those are our first offensive lineman selections in the draft since uh, I think it was Lewis went in like 2016. So certainly the first ones under under the Frost era. And having said all that, I mean, look at what you have back. You have two top 100 recruits now starting at tackles. We have a third-year center. I mean, I, most of us would agree that Jurgens shouldn't have been starting two years ago in any normal situation. I mean, we, but we benefit from it now. You know, him playing before he was probably ready. Now in year three, this dude is ready to go. Well, Piper, well we had better benefit from him. Well, yes. He, yes, we better benefit <laughs> from it. Piper had one offer before Frost came here and it was to Iowa. And if Piper leaves Nebraska, like so many players had prior, goes to Iowa, he's not playing last year. He's not starting on the Iowa offensive line last year. They're too far, you know, they're further along in development than what Nebraska was. So he probably plays earlier than he should have last year, but we should benefit from that now. So we're still young in so many ways, especially with the co- how COVID kind of screws it up. I mean, we still have like three freshmen next year. Ben Hart's still a freshman and Corcoran's a freshman <laughs> and Piper's a freshman and, and hell, even Jurgens is only a sophomore next year, whoever the other guy's going to be. But even despite that youth, Jerkins is There's, only going to be a sophomore next year. Yeah. With, Are you kidding me? Because of how basically That's the COVID, best news. He was a sophomore wow. last year. He's a sophomore this He's, year. Yeah. So I everyone's didn't realize, back. Wow. So That's the, fantastic. The, I guess the point there is that they're young on paper still, but they've already had you know a year or two in some cases of experience. And just solely from the if recruiting matters, and I mean, I, I, and this is where I'm, people want to tell me, you know, we have to have four stars and all that stuff, honky, you know, it's a, you can't just win with a bunch of walk-ons. You need, you need the great recruits. Okay, cool. Well, we have top 100 tackles. And, and I mentioned it, you know, on the rapper reaction, you know, Prochaska should go out and, you know, by the time he gets done here in 2025, he should win the outlet. Oh, stop it, honky. Don't, don't have those kinds of expectations. Why not? He's a top 100 tackle. 
He's a top 100 tackle that could have gone to any place in the country. Corcoran could have gone to any place in the country. Ben Hart plays in the All-American game. Those are the guys you want, right? So now we've had them, and now we're developing them. Okay, well, then let's throw some expectations on them. And now they've had a year or two of experience under their belt. In some cases, like Jurgen, by way, a four-star that could have gone to pretty much any place in the country. Maybe not to play center, but <laughs> you know he was certainly a great talent coming out of high school. Now that Jurgen's going into his third year of starting, yeah, let's knock off the, the snap issues. And it certainly looks like he has figured that out. And uh, I'm excited to watch that. I mean, I think this whole line is going to impress well, and, right, and, and right and off the just- bat. And if they don't, if there's, if the guys, if some of the guys aren't panning out there, there's some depth there to change them out. You know, there was, there was yeah. times when like, this is our front line. This is the best we can do. If these guys don't pan out, we're screwed. That's not the case this year. If you're struggling, if you hold, if you can't remember the snap count, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, you're going to get yanked and you may never get back on the field. That's got to be what it's like going forward. You know, too many times we've been allowed or have to let these guys who make mistakes keep playing I don't think that's where we are anymore. And that's, that's really good. What do you guys think about that guard position? Who, who's going to win that? I mean, you, you hear so much about Sichterman right now and maybe I love the idea of him winning it. I, I love do. that idea. I, you know, when you look on paper and you see three freshmen and a sophomore, and then here's a guy that, you know, is a dude that's been in the program for five years and you can get a senior out there on the, on the line with them. He's a heady, smart guy. He's a software engineering guy, works at huddle, you know, and, and yeah, has, they say like smartest guy on the team, practically. Huh? Yeah. He probably know. listens to the show. If he's, that's, <laughs> if he's so smart, am I right? <laughs> yeah. I think if nothing else, a feel good story, I'd love to see him. And also, you know, he's a Riley recruit too. So here's another example yeah. of developing guys. He's a frost guy, whether he was recruited by frost or not. And here he is in year five. And it, that's what it took development wise to get him onto the field. Cool. You and know, he's I mean, been here for five years. That's cool nowadays. And like to me, it's like, well, you stuck it out. You stayed and you, yeah. and you put in five years worth of time. It'd be nice to reward that and, and to show other guys that you can be rewarded for that kind of hard work. I agree. He's probably so smart he gets boomers jokes. <laughs> well, I, another guy, if we transition to the tight ends, another guy that's been here since the Riley era is Austin Allen. And what Allen and Vokalek, Dave, what those two guys bring – uh, Matt Davison, you know, said on the radio during the game, he's like, he thinks both of those two are, are pro tight ends. And I don't disagree. I mean, those guys run blocking and size. Uh, he called Vokalik 6'6", 6'7". And he looked all of 6'6", when I saw him at the, the open practice. And the only thing that made him look remotely small was the fact he'd be lined up some, or standing next to Austin Allen at times and Allen 6'9". Yeah, no, they're they're huge individuals. Um, and, uh, that makes them very versatile, right? I mean, they're all, mm-hmm. they're athletic, but they're big enough to be able to, to block and, you know, line up on end, et cetera. So, um, you know, you gotta be excited about that. Even with Fedoni out for an extended period of time, um, you've got two guys that, um, can do everything you want out of that position. And it, it is a, a, almost kind of a marquee position. It feels like going forward. I didn't feel like they highlighted the tight ends too much in the spring game, um, but we kind of know what we have there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in addition to the tight ends, then, I mean, we're an hour in here, but it, it took us this long. And this is what I love about you guys too. It's the same thing with us doing rapid reactions, going for 50 some minutes. We've gone an hour and we're just finally hitting wide receivers. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, the ball, obviously, you know, it was, it was a hard ball to throw there that day, but 
a lot of guys stepped up. I mean, we saw a lot from Torrey. I thought on the white team, seeing Nixon and Nance, I think, made some catches. Nance had some real nice moves after one of the catches he had. Omar, man, if he catches that one deep ball, which was a yeah. real nice throw by by Martinez in the first half, he catches that. I mean, that changes things. But, Mac, overall, coming out of the spring, what are your thoughts on that wide receiver room? Well, I fell in love. I mean, that's the first thing. It was it was <laughs> it was pretty magical for me. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, it's nice to see something play out in the field that I had heard all spring long. Because we had heard that you know maybe Omar had made a jump, and he certainly has. And you had heard that Oliver Martin may be one of our best wide receivers, and he looked pretty good. And you had heard that Samari Toure was it got very detailed, very like like a pro-like mentality and he came out there and he just executed the offense. So you'd heard these things and then you actually saw them on the field. You know, Omar did drop that ball, but he made a couple of the really good catches and you the got point, open on that route. At least and, right and, and that was exactly Dave. That route was really crisp and really good. And he was wide open and he'll probably make that catch again. It's probably a good thing. He dropped it now Toure almost caught it off the carom. You know, but he was in position. Our wide receivers were in position to make plays, and and occasionally they did. You know, the win was a factor, so that their challenge was a little higher than others. But you know, Oliver Martin, what do you have? Like three, three, four catches, and a couple of them were pretty clutch. He did get the ball ripped out of his hands, but that's mm-hmm. that was a hell of a defensive play, less than than it was a bad offensive play. But I just thought, you know, the only thing that was surprising. Well, let me before I go there, even even uh, Will Nixon was a guy that you kind of heard about in the background. Mm-hmm. And, and like every time he got the ball, it's like, I kind of like it when this guy's got the ball. He's pretty, he's pretty shifty. He's pretty quick. He might do some damage. So it wasn't just like feed the ball to one guy and make the offense go through it at all. It was a wide range of wide receivers used. Mm-hmm. It. I mean, like Omar Manning was a factor, but he wasn't featured. He just became part of the offense based on he was open. And it was the same thing with everybody. I didn't feel like we were forcing the ball to mm-hmm. any particular wide receiver. That to me was really encouraging. Do you see how they would use Torrey similar to, well, it was a slot. So similar to how they were using Wandell at times, how they'd motion him back into the backfield and then send him out one time where it was literally the exact same play. I saw somebody on Twitter tonight was posting a video against Rutgers of how, Wandell goes into the backfield. Then he goes right back out and does a, a wheel route. Martinez hits him 15, 20 yard gain. Did the exact same play here, but he doesn't throw it to Torrey. Torrey looked every bit as open and he went across the middle to uh, maybe it was a tight end or some, something. And, and, and the, the conversation I saw on Twitter was, you know, is, is uh, Martinez more comfortable throwing to guys that he knows to throw to? And I'm like, I, I don't really think it's that. I think it's just what he sees at the, at the moment. But the point is, is that, you know, Torrey was getting in the backfield and you were seeing them using him in ways that they were exactly using Wandell, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, think about some of the, the best times this offense has had under Frost was when we had Stanley Morgan and J.D. Spielman and Divino Zigbo. That was that was some of the most explosive offense we've had, mm-hmm. you know, and right now we've got a guy playing the slot who's six, three you know, versus the 5'10 that, that J.D. Mm-hmm. Spielman was. And we've got a guy playing on the outside that's 6'4", 6'5", versus the 6'1 that Stanley mm-hmm. Morgan was. And I love Stanley Morgan. He was absolutely kind of a game-breaker for us. But I'm just like, look at that those, that position group and see the upgrade in size and speed and athleticism. And with with uh, Samari Toure, definitely NFL potential. That guy that guy's bona fide as far as that goes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could – and then in the backfield – 
could it be Yant? Could it be Step? Could it be Gabe Irvin? I'm like, at least we have some options back there. I've seen some running backs now step up. So like we're in position and that's not that you even go in the tight end position. Oh, sure. I'm like, it's kind of crazy to me with a fourth year quarterback. I mean, yeah, I know. I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy. We we scored a touchdown. I think it was with Scott and on the field at the time was double tights and they were both on the same side of the field lined up next to each other. Bokalek and Allen. That's a lot of size. Imagine, imagine a goal line offense next year where potentially you could throw Yant and step on the field at the same time. I mean, just again, just combinations that we haven't been able to have in the past because we just didn't have those body types imagine the amount of size you can throw out there when you need to get one yard and you don't want it just to be martinez always having to be the guy to get it uh that's interesting you know we can we can go double tights and be huge and and now i mean we didn't even talk about xavier betts there and i felt bad for him you know he took the one ball off the helmet on the on the one deep throw the only reason that hit his helmet is because he was contorting in a way a body shouldn't be able to that that actually made the pass look better than it was i mean no human should be running bent over backwards the way he was (laughs) to get that doink out of his helmet he's an underthrown ball mac (laughs) mac i don't want to read too much into this because i'm trying to say this from the 600 level of the stadium but did it feel like body language wise did he did he seem frustrated just i mean he wasn't he was yeah. not on the starting lineup, so I mean, he was well, playing I mean, with, you with can't the backup. I, I get it, and I've heard this on the message boards too. But you can't, you can't give the red everybody. No, I, I mean know. the white team needs somebody to throw to. I mean, at, at, like to me, that wasn't a big deal. It's encouraging to me, honestly, that it was it was Manning over bets because you mm-hmm. know he's older as a player. He's you know he's in the tail end of his career in college. I thought he made huge progress uh, just being able to go out there line up know every signal, run every play the right way. Um, you know, he's had a few things that have kept him off the field, but when he's out there, he's a, a difference maker for us. So um, he's had a really good spring, and, again, we just need consistency from him. If we get that kind of consistency of him being there all the time and, and helping us, um, he's going to be he's going to be really good, and we're going to be better. I'm glad that he's stepping up and making it hard for uh, Xavier Betts, who I do deem is to be a very valuable playmaker, yeah, like that he pushed into the white team. That's a good sign for this program because because make no mistake, Betts is going to play. He's yes. going to get on the field. He's going to make a difference. You know, like the fact that mm-hmm. he's playing in the white team is immaterial to me. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing I would I would go back with with Yant. You know, we've had we've had some big running backs in the past, and so by virtue of them being big, they were our short yardage backs. There's a difference though. You know, like just being big doesn't make you good at short yardage, but you watch Yank go into contact. That guy has no problem blowing up some dudes. Jock had scholarship offers. Um, his grades uh, weren't where they needed to be. And it didn't look like he was going to make it. And, and fish kept fighting for him. And uh, we're lucky to have him glad to have him. Um, he's still got some growing up to do, but he, he's a physical presence. So, um, glad he's able to showcase that a little today. You know, and he's a legit short yardage guy. He's a legit yep. guy. You're like, oh, who would you rather have in the backfield on, you know, first and goal? You know, a 5'10", 5'9", 170, 180-pound <laughs> Wandell Robinson? Or do you want the 6'2", 235, 245 Yant, who's actually a running back? You, you're going to tell me that's not going to make a difference at the goal line? You know, that's the, that's the change. I feel like we've mm-hmm. had in this offense. And that's that's a guy that is a walk-on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could be a fullback. Fullbacks are walk-ons a lot of times. He does back. look I mean, a bit like a fullback. <laughs> it's a good point, Honk. There you yeah. go. 
you know, I, I feel bad, Dave, you know, Boomer, he's kind of like Lindsey Buckingham on that. What's up with that skit on SNL. It's like every week we're going to get to him and talk, you know, special teams. And it just never happens. And, and we've ran out of time, Boomer. There's just no time, <laughs> There's no time fine, to talk man. special teams this week, but next week, man. What's up with that? <laughs> he got bumped. Boomer got we'll bumped. lead with special teams, Boomer. We swear. Yeah, always but, used to happen the Johnny Carson show. That just ran out of time for that yeah. other guest. Yep. So. But Dave, I guess you know before we do head out. I mean, baseball. We're not going to do the whole segment like like we normally yeah. would. But I mean, you obviously you can give the update, and it wasn't a great weekend for Nebraska baseball. But you know that Rutgers team has now taken five of six the last two weeks against Michigan and Nebraska, so maybe they're not terrible. Yeah, no, that's that's correct. Um, it was a very tough uh, weekend, 0 for 3 versus the Scarlet Knights. Um, and it was odd because we had the bullpen uh, let us down in the first two games, whereas going into that series, they had gone 22 and a third um, innings without giving up a run. So it was a bit of a role reversal there. Um, it was inevitable they were going to lose a series at some point. It's just unfortunate it happened right after we had gotten ranked and, and got the um, – you know, projection to, to host. Now, the good news is, is that, I mean, I think Bolt uh, is a, a good motivator and they get Rutgers right back uh, here again. Um, they have a, a four-team pod coming up here. And so um, chance to uh, redeem themselves quickly. Um, Indiana is now the uh, team du jour for the Big Ten. They're ranked um, in the polls. And so it's going to come right down to the last couple of weeks here. Nebraska just needs to, to – not let Rutgers beat them a second uh, series in a row here um, coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so D1 baseball has uh, Rutgers uh, joining Maryland now in their first five out of the tournament. So they're kind of getting got lots of quality wins. Suddenly, yeah, they, they so. really have lately. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's going to be crunch time coming down at the end of the big 10 here. Just, it's really knotted up. I mean, you've got what three, four teams with about 20 wins, a couple at 19 and then, you know, Rutgers, making ground here and you know i think a team you kind of have to watch out for is iowa they're in a decent position to make a good late season run um you know where we still play rutgers again indiana michigan you know we've got a a lot of big heavyweights still playing iowa they finished with penn state illinois northwestern sparty i mean they've got a pretty easy easy finish to the year so they could rack up a lot of wins in a hurry so no i Mm -hmm. agree with boomer iowa might be the team that somehow comes out of the end of this thing but um yeah i'm not ready to give up yet um you know, it's just unfortunate they couldn't have scrapped together at least one win out of that. They sure had their opportunity, especially there in game two, mm-hmm. um, when they're at five zero and had a, had a guy in third with one out in the in the ninth and couldn't get a, a tying run home. So um, let's see what they they can do. I think their team needed to have some um, uh, a challenge here, and, and they've got it now. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we said last week that, you know, they weren't out of the woods, even though they were ranked and, you know, number one in the conference, they weren't out of the woods because of the schedule coming up that played out to be true. So where are we now? Like from a projection standpoint, you know, we're no longer probably a one seed hosting a regional, but are have the latest projections. Are we still a two or no, we're actually, they, they put uh, slot us as a third seed playing uh, down in Arkansas. Wow. So. Along with Baylor and oh gosh, I can't remember the other team was. Wow, Bolt, Bolt against Van Horn—that'd be interesting. Yeah, and a two and a three seed is is really not a big difference. It really 
matters where you go, but um, I mean, there's a lot of fluctuation there um, and can move around. But uh, you can see what, what losing uh, three in a row at home can do to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as usual, we know how to, to cover um, <laughs> the spring game like no other. We'll be back next week to talk uh, uh, defense. But let's get out of here with some parting shots, and I'll start with Mac. Okay, Redcasters, um, I don't know how much you jump on YouTube, but I do. Uh, there's a series on there called Road to the Pros, and it features Najee Harris, the running back from Alabama. And it's it's a really great they're, – they're like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes an episode. Really great following him through his life. And if you know nothing about the guy, he did not have the greatest life growing up. was in a missions and a – in uh, homeless shelters throughout his uh, childhood. And it was really kind of a feel-good story, and it's a guy that I'm going to root for going forward, even though he's with the Steelers. Um, but interestingly enough, one of the episodes that was featured, he was talking about how he was training for his pro day, and one of the guys he had leaned on was a one Corel Buckhalter. So um, I think it's pretty safe to say that it really wasn't Saban that got him to be the 24th <laughs> pick in the draft. It was Corel Brockhalter. So pro big red. Nice. Okay, Corel. All right. Uh, Boomer. Well, I just wanted to uh, give another shout out to another, like Anki said, uh, Husker, Husker athlete in one of the other sports that doesn't always seem to get the, the love it should. And I know we mentioned her last go around, but uh, Kate Smith again, uh, doing great work on the golf course. And she's selected for the uh, Arnold Palmer cup team to represent the United States. That's basically similar to the Ryder cup at the college level. So mm-hmm. she's one of uh, 12 women in, uh, in college golf to, to make it on that team. So congrats, Kate, and look forward to seeing how you do there. Wow. That's awesome. Cool. I just had my first uh, Arnold Palmer ever last weekend. I've never, nice. I'd never had one before. So lemonade. It's not the and, same uh, thing as a long Island iced tea. Honky. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> yeah. But very refreshing. It's an amazing phenomenon that it got named after him. I can't believe he's the first person who did that. There's a great Sports Center commercial where yeah, I remember that one, Dave. Him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just doing that a ratio awesome. just right. <laughs> All right, Hawk, get us out of here. Uh, well, Matt kind of stole my first one. I was gonna give a shout out to Eric Hash, a former uh, Columbus Scotus alum that was sitting right next to us in the stands. It was really cool to to see him and uh, listening to the Redcast. So. How you doing, Eric? Uh, number two, uh, I just wanted to give a salute to the Big Red Cop cast. Uh, those fellows, they announced this, uh, that next week's show is going to be their final one after doing this for seven years. And, and I know I can speak for us. We've been doing this for only four years. But, uh, you know, I got to give a lot of respect for what it takes to do this week in and week out, especially when the losses pile up. And, and we know what that's like. And it takes a lot of effort to put these together. But uh, Mac Boomer and I, we enjoyed a crossover that we did with Pat and Tweedy a show that we did earlier this year and certainly need to throw a thanks to Mike and Justin from the Husker pod for setting that one up. So uh, you guys have had a hell of a run and uh, you know, go big red. Maybe they should just do pause instead of let's see how the season goes before you call it a career. You know, what if we won eight (laughs) games? Well, that would be terribly disappointing. However, if we do win eight games and they don't do a podcast, it's entirely their fault. That's well, that was their whole point. <laughs> they, yeah. were saying, they were blaming themselves for all the losses. Well, which, again, look at us. We've been doing it. For yeah, I was going to say it could be us. 
Yeah. You know, well, it's, but it's for all the grace us. of God, we better win eight games this year. <laughs> Get us off the hook. Or, or, or we're going to be making that announcement. I will here. do it. <laughs> I, I will follow the sword for Oscar Nation. People will no pay problem. us to stop doing the show. That's right. Maybe that's... That's, we finally found a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what they talk, they they said the same thing. Yeah, we just increased the checks or we'll podcast again. Disband. All right, good stuff, guys. Uh, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Here we are. A Huda Media Production.